Trust you found your place in the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And tonight I'll be reading from verse 7 down to verse number 11. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, that you would come to this earth, humble yourself, be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I pray, dear Lord, that your sacrifice would continue to motivate us to serve you with every fiber of our being and that we would love you more and more each day. Thank you for loving us, and we love you because you first loved us. Thank you once again. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word tonight. Use it to provide strength and encouragement and a challenge to each of our hearts. Bless us only you can, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's no question that as human beings, we are, in many ways, products of our environment of our surroundings, of our families, of our relationships. It doesn't take long to observe even simple things like how we speak. It's based on how those around us speak. That's how we arrive at these various accents that we have. We act based on how we are raised. We act based on how we are taught to act. We have particular attitudes based on how we are cultured. We possess tendencies based on our personal experience. And all of these things that I've mentioned and more result in a certain level of distinctiveness that's acquired about people from particular places. Sometimes these characteristics are good. Sometimes they are not so good. And sometimes they're neutral. They're neither good nor bad. Distinctive and distinguishing characteristics that allow you to often make an intelligent guess about where a person is from. Just as there are, however, distinctive characteristics about people based on the family that they grew up in, the school that they went to, the country where they were raised, there are also, my friends, distinctive characteristics 
and should be about a born again child of God. A prevailing theme in the book of First John is that of Christian distinctiveness. I've entitled this series that we've been looking at for quite some time, now, well over a year, The Christian's Signature. And the indication here is that there are some things about a Christian, one who names the name of Christ, that ought to be unique, ought to be characteristic, ought to be distinctive, such that when a person looks at that individual, they're reminded of Jesus Christ. When we speak of the Christian signature, we are not necessarily referring to your accent, how you speak. We're not necessarily even referring to how you look, what you wear, or some standardized code of conduct outlined in some Christian handbook. But what we're referring to here is is a distinctiveness that happens supernaturally uh, on the inside that impacts behaviors and attitudes that are shown on the outside. The Apostle John began in this chapter of number four, speaking of the importance of this distinctiveness, understanding that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. There are distinctive sides, and as such, each and every child of God must be able to discern the Spirit. And in this discerning the Spirit, discerning which side you're on, then you determine your stance. Decide which side are you on. Make no mistake about it. We saw, and we will see tonight, that once you determine your stance, once you discern uh, the, the, the opposing sides that exist, then, and only then, you'll be able to actually be distinctive as a servant. You see, there's a very logical progression that we see here shown in chapter number four. Because when you discern the spirit, in other words, recognize that there are clearly marked sides. And you determine which side you're on. It's only then that you can truly be distinctive. Why? Because if you don't determine your stance such that one minute you're here and another minute you're there, then you can understand clearly why there will be no distinctiveness. And so tonight, beginning with tonight, we will look at four areas of distinctiveness that I see here in these verses, from verse number 7 down to verse number 19. We'll only look at one tonight, and we'll look at the subsequent ones in the weeks to come. But just for heading, if you want to jot this down, write down the distinctiveness of God's servants. And tonight, let's observe, first of all, that if a child of God wants to truly stand out, the Apostle John points out here, very importantly, that we will want to pattern the sovereign. To pattern the sovereign. And he speaks of a very important characteristic of Almighty God, which is that of love. Look at verse number seven. He, he, in, in patterning the sovereign, uh, John here gives what I call a, a, a basic requirement. He says, beloved, let us do what? Love one another. 
He says, if we're going to pattern the, the God of the universe, it is going to be done because we embrace this thing called love. He says, it's a requirement. And John, what's so important here, he says, listen, as I tell you to do this, understand that I am not telling you to do something that I can exclude myself from. He says, beloved, let what? Us. It's inclusive. He's saying to them, we all need to do this. I'm not telling you something that I won't do, that I don't do, or that I don't plan to do. And this is a very important aspect of providing admonition to others. You see, my friends, it's very important that if we're going to admonish others to do anything, that we are willing to do it as well. To lead by example. Not having one's actions to support what is being requested always presents major credibility problems. This hinders the effectiveness of the message. It causes it not to be received by the hearer. And so we see from John's request, from his requirement to these believers, he clearly demonstrated love for them. Look at how he addressed them. He says, Beloved. He addressed them with such an endearing term. I don't believe that John could have been referring to them as beloved if he had not demonstrated love to them in the first place. Can you imagine a husband who mistreats his wife and abuses her, whether it's physically, emotionally, verbally, and otherwise, and after all this abuse was every sought, day in, day out, night in, night out, he goes up to her and says, Honey, sweetheart. I mean, those words would be instantly met with disdain. They would be rebuffed. They would mean very little. And so John here, he says, Beloved indicates that clearly John had demonstrated his love for them. And he was saying to them, Beloved, let us love one another. He was saying to them, Listen, this is a requirement, a requirement that I'm willing to, to embrace, and I'm encouraging you to do the same. He says, We have a responsibility to pattern the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he goes on from this requirement that he's making of them. And he says, let me give you a reason why we ought to do this. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Then he says, for love is of God. He says, I'm not just telling you to do this because it's something nice to do. I'm giving you a foundation and an essential reason as to why we ought to love. He says, this reason is founded in the fact that Love is the very essence of who God is. Love is the nature of God. Love is what God is all about. He's saying to them, we cannot be associated with God and not be associated with love. This is what God is known for. Have you ever seen someone at a very, very, very young age 
do something that is seemingly effortless, something that maybe takes you a whole lot of hard work and, and, and training and, and commitment and dedication, and then you just see someone so extremely young, just do it as if it's, as we say, nothing. Why? It's something that we would say is in their genes. It's in their DNA. It's in their their blood, as we would say. It's It's a part of their nature. What John was saying to them, when it comes to this matter of love, listen, love is of God. It is in his DNA. It is it is in his nature. It is his essence. For love is of God. But notice he goes on to say in expanding on the reason for loving, not only is that it's God's essence, but he says to them, you have experienced God's love. He says, for love is of God, and look at the next part of this verse, and everyone that is that loveth is what? Born of God. And knoweth saying when it comes to this matter of love we have been born again because we have experienced the love of God and we know God because we experience his love we feel his love we are who we are because of his love He says, this is what you have been born into. You are born again because God showered you with his love. And so it is impossible for you to be born again as a child of God and love be foreign to you. You have experienced it. You know it. You experience it. You live it. For those of you who follow sports, sports, you would know that just recently, Carifta Games were held in Jamaica. And we know from, I guess the whole world knows, that Jamaica and Jamaicans, because of their prowess in recent times and prior, well, even prior, they have become synonymous with athletics, sprinting. And you see their domination as it relates to track and field. And I'm sure even though there might be an individual, and even though sometimes we categorize people, you know, from places with particular things, I'm sure there might be someone in Jamaica who might say, I don't like track and field. But I'm sure if they were to, we were to hear them say that, we would be taken aback. How can you be from Jamaica and you don't like track and field? Why? Because that is seen synonymous with with who they are. It's something that they are known for that has brought great fame and exposure to them around the world. It is their experience. Hear what John is saying. Listen, we have experienced God's love. We have been born into it. It ought to be a part of who we are. When others look at us, they ought to see the love of God in our hearts and in our lives. It's our experience. It's the essence of God. 
But John goes on in expounding to them, and he says, but let me give you an exception. In verse number 8, he says, he that loveth not God, or loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. He says, I'm giving you the reason why as a child of God, you have to love God. Because if you don't love, you don't love God, you don't love others, then it is a clear indication that something's wrong. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. He says if somehow you don't have this characteristic of love in your heart, then it must be you have not been exposed to God. He says that, 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 that's the glaring exception. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10 and he says, in further explaining to them the reason why this matter of love is so important, he says, listen, this thing called love, God did not just let it be a part of his essence. He did not let us even experience it uh, personally. That's not what the full extent. He says, listen, God exemplified it. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, in this was, the, was manifested, was demonstrated, was exemplified the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, John was reiterating uh, that most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John was saying, listen, God did not just talk love. God demonstrated love. God showed his love. And it's through this amazing demonstration of love that it has been communicated to us. It has been felt by us. He says it's been exemplified. How do we most readily feel love? Is it through words? I would dare say no, it is through action. I mean the words are nice when they are backed up by the action. But if the words are not backed up by action, we don't hold on to the words. He says God so loved the world that he gave. He showed it. It was exemplified. So John, in demonstrating and showing them the pattern of the sovereign, he says, I'm giving you a requirement. Listen, we have to love one another. It's not an option. It's not based on whether we feel like or not. He says, it's a requirement. 
I'm giving you the reason. It's the essence of who God is. We have experienced it ourselves personally. That's why we can say unashamedly and unreservedly, I'm born again. Why? Because I've been a recipient of the amazing love of God. I've experienced it. He says it's been exemplified. God demonstrated it in the most sacrificial of ways. And he says, if you're not going to love, and if love is not shed abroad in your heart in order for it to be uh, demonstrated to, to others, then you must not know God. But notice, finally, in verse number 11, he says, because this love is a requirement. Because it has a foundational and credible reason because of what God has done. It requires a response from us. Look at verse number 11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, loved us, and that word if not the synonym for that word in that sense and that context would be since. He's not saying if, he's not, he's not saying, well, let me question whether if God loves us. He's saying since. He just demonstrated it and articulated it so clearly that God showed us. Since God loved us, we have a responsibility to love one another. We ought also to love one another. Our hearts must be touched by the love of God such that we are compelled to love one another. You see, my friends, it ought to be natural for us that we would want to reproduce what we have received. You know why? We didn't deserve it. We did not attain to a standard that warranted that God should love us. But even though we were so undeserving, God lavished us with his love. So what that does for each and every one of us is it eliminates every excuse. And oftentimes we love in a kind of way that says, you know what? I ain't messing with you. You don't deserve my love. Based on all the things you've done, I ain't wasting my love on you. But is that how God did it? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what's our excuse? Boy, them people, they didn't know good. 
So my love is for the good people, not them. God loved us with an agape love, an unconditional love. That's the kind of love that John is speaking of. He says, this is one of those things that's distinctive. This is one of those things that causes a child of God to pop out, to stick out. And the Apostle Paul speaks of that in that same passage in Romans chapter 5. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Thank God for his love. There's nothing like it. And when we fully, we won't fully comprehend it, but as we understand it, more and more, it makes it easier for us to give that love freely, even to those who, don't, who we think don't deserve it. Why? Because we received something we didn't deserve. John says, when it comes to this matter of being distinctive, it begins with patterning the sovereign. Jesus said, you know, if you only love who love you, what, what makes you stand out? He said, even the heathen do the same. How many times we want to stand out as wonderful Christians, but we just love those who love us. Jesus says there's nothing special about that. But if we want to truly stand out, if we want to be distinctive, we want others to say, Hey, what makes him different? What makes her different? What makes them distinctive? It is the fact that they would pattern the sovereign who loved us when we didn't deserve it, who loved us in spite of ourselves. And let me just say this in closing. Loving someone who we figure is undeserving is not condoning bad behavior. God recognized that we were sinners and he loved us anyhow and he provided the remedy for our sin while still loving us. And so we can love the undeserving and at the same time provide remedies and solutions for the things that ought to be resolved. Thank God for his love. Let us endeavor to pattern the one who loved us. It is the first step to being a distinctive child of God.